0: news on RTHK.
1: Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra Hora. Copper extended losses amid mounting evidence of a slowdown at China's factories. Oil has also retreated. Asian stock index futures are mixed this morning and Pacific Rim trade talks fell short of a deal. It's my last day here on Money for Nothing and like we do on all Mondays, we'll discuss the TPP and the U.S. macro situation with our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. After that, we'll be joined by Lung Properties' Ronnie Chan to discuss the company's interim results. And Tobias Hexter joins us as guest host today. Good morning, Tobias. morning, Renita. Tobias, China's Official manufacturing PMI fell for July to 50. This is a five-month low. And Chinese stocks were down slightly at the close of last week. Now, people are still talking about a fear of contagion. What do you think? I think the key question
2: uh, after the market route is to what extent it will indeed taper into uh, retail spending and therefore the economy. And next to debt. Um, the general slowdown, which I think is also very much reflected in the price of copper and other commodities, it all points down down to a slowdown in China. And indeed, the question is, to what extent will it be contagious to other economies in the world? And in a way, it is already happening in commodities. Let's see what happens to the markets.
1: Mm. Now, when it comes to contagion, HSBC's uh, global chief uh, strategist, equity strategist, Ben Laidler, he doesn't think that there's necessarily a problem.
3: We're reasonably constructive on China. We know people are concerned. We know people are looking at the, uh, at, at the big sell-off in the A-share market. People are worried about contagion from that. Uh, we don't see a lot of contagion. Um, you know, equity ownership in China is is, is not dramatic. Foreign investors are not, uh, weren't very long China ratios uh... We think Chinese authorities have an awful lot of broader stimulus for the economy. They've been cutting rates. They've been cutting reserve requirements. Uh, we see a lot more room uh, for that to come through from here. We think we're seeing a trough in the economy um, now, and we're going to see a moderate pickup uh, from uh, from here into year end. And um, People, as you rightly pointed out, are very cautious that and we think that's throwing up opportunities here.
1: Why? Why are you so optimistic when you take a look at a PMI chart that's under 50 and has been? A moderate pickup in China's economy.
2: Tobias, do you agree? Uh, Not necessarily, but I would imagine that the S in their abbreviation of their bank stands for Shanghai. Mm,
1: Of course. Well, uh, uh, speaking of uh, not Shanghai, but a different part of the world, Athens, Greece now, the Athens Stock Exchange is set to plunge by as much as 20%. Today when trading finally resumes after a 5-week closure, this is what traders have predicted. The bourse was shut just before the Greek government imposed capital controls at the height of the debt crisis. Traders said that they expect a sharp uh, loss sharp losses as a result of pent-up trading and fears about Greece's worsening economy. And plunging crude oil prices weighed on quarterly earnings at the world's biggest company. ExxonMobil reported that it earned 4 two billion dollars in the second quarter, which marked a drop of more than 50 percent from last year. Profits increased in the company's chemical unit during the period, but that wasn't enough to offset the oil price drop. Since last year, Brent crude oil prices have fallen more than 40 percent. Gianna Byrne is the principal of Brookshire Advisory Research, and she told Bloomberg's Scarlet Fu that oil prices may take 12 to 16 months to recover.
3: Yes, I'm, I'm concerned all the way into 2016. I think this is just the beginning. I think what we're going to continue to see are asset write downs, uh, layoffs, asset sales, and as I had mentioned to one of your producers, this is what I'd call the perfect storm in an energy bear market. So, uh, besides all of the, the drop in crude oil prices, I mean, the, the industry has to contend with the downturn in China and the price war with OPEC, and I just don't see that letting up anytime soon.
1: A quick announcement now from the Transport Department. Uh, due to a traffic accident, part of the lanes of Waterloo Road, Chimsa Choi bound near St. George's Building, are closed to traffic, and there are traffic queues on uh, Waterloo Road that end at Baptist Hospital. Well, U.S. labor costs in the second quarter recorded their smallest increase in 33 years as workers earned less in commissions and bonuses in what appeared to be a temporary wage growth setback against the backdrop of diminishing labor market slack. Wage growth in America. But uh, the question is why? Here is the Economist Intelligence, U- Intelligence Unit's Joseph Lake.
3: I would say that it was disappointing, but not as bad as it first appears um, so to put it in a bit of context, typically in a recession after a recession you 're going to have the stock market rebound you 're going to have the job market rebound, and then eventually you 're going to hope to see an increase in wage and salaries um, and upward pressure on that because the labor market tightens, um, and then employees have to pay more to hold on to workers and retain them and um, so we 've had last year the best Year of job creation in the U.S. since 1999, three million jobs. So we're getting to the stage now. Unemployment has fallen to 5.3%. We're getting to the stage where we would expect to see some pressure, upward pressure on wages. Today was disappointing, but I think if you look past, and I know that you've call, called that the most disappointing chart in the world right now, Joe. But I think if you look past the initial number and look into the details, it wasn't as bad as it first appeared. We had a big jump in Q1 and then a big drop back in Q2. And actually, if you look through some of the numbers, it, it should really level those out. Q Q1 was overstated, Q2 was understated. There was a skew in the data with um, commissions that were heavily weighted in Q1. And so actually we are seeing signs of wage growth, um, but you just need to look past the headline number.
1: All right, let's bring in our first guest of this morning, Barry Wood, who is our international economics correspondent, and he joins us from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry.
4: Good Good morning, Renita. It is sad for me to think this is your last broadcast program. Oh, Barry. On this program.
1: Barry, it is sad for me to uh, think about that too, but I'm uh, not going to think about it. Not right now. <laughs> okay. Okay, Barry. Uh, with U.S. wage growth, is it true that this is a temporary setback, or is this something that we should actually be more concerned about?
4: No, it's definitely temporary. There are a lot of moves in several parts of the states to raise the minimum wage up to $15 an hour. I wouldn't have thought three months ago that this was going to go anywhere, but it's happening in New York State, it's happening in New York City, it's happening in San Francisco, and in California. So we're going to see some wage pressure. I don't know how much, but certainly a setback in terms of wage growth, I think, is an aberration.
1: Barry, there is concern about the strength of the economies in China and Europe, uh, along with a slide in energy prices, which have made stocks fall. U.S. oil futures fell more than 20 percent, in fact, in July. Now, uh, we're expecting payroll data out next week. How likely are we to see a strong or at least a gain, if not that strong, in jobs?
4: Oh, I think it's going to be a good report, Renita. Uh, July job growth is likely to be in the neighborhood of two hundred and twenty five thousand that uh, could bring the unemployment rate, which is already quite low about five percent down uh, another tick so I think we're we're doing well and combine that with the q two GDP report that showed initially two point three percent annual rate of growth in the second quarter, revised the very bad first quarter down to a growth of in the first quarter, I think the U.S. economy is doing very well, and I think it's going to get better. Certainly in the second half of the year, we'll get from a 2.3% growth rate, I think, closer to three or even three and a half.
1: Okay, well, that's definitely good news. Now, the payroll data out next week, would you say that is the tell-all factor that will finally encourage the Fed to raise rates?
4: You know, it could be. It, there are indeed mixed reports, Renita, of the data that come out. I think that you've got a growing sense that the interest rate has got to rise. I think the Fed has been telegraphing that we may see some action in September. And after all, that's only a month away. So I think if you get a very strong jobs report, September becomes likely for a rate increase.
1: Tobias, what do you think about that? Is it going to move the needle on the s and
2: I think so much has already been expected, and it's most likely going to be a bit of a nominal raise. So again, we're going to look forward to, if they do it in September, what's going to be their trajectory going forward? If they don't do it in September, actually the same thing.
1: All right. Barry, let's talk about the TPP. Uh, Pacific Rim trade ministers failed to clinch a deal on Friday to free up trade between a dozen nations. What would you say were the main sticking points?
4: Well, it's certainly very significant. I think the main sticking points were some of the same ones you identified a week ago. They are the pharmaceuticals, particularly the patent protection for these new drugs that are being developed. I think a lot of the countries aside from the United States, worry about the availability of generic drugs. The Americans want 12 years on some of these new drugs that are coming. Sugar has been a problem. Auto parts has been a problem. Agricultural goods into Japan is a problem. And I think that uh, both the uh, New Zealanders on dairy, getting into Canada and getting into the States, and the Australians on sugar, that was a surprise. But you've got um, Andrew Robb, the... Australian trade minister say it's 98% done. Mm. So I don't think we can say this was a failure. I've got a feeling that we're going to see lower-level negotiators meet in the next few weeks, and we're very close to a deal.
1: Yes, and Andrew Robb uh, did say in addition to it being 98% done, he said that the problem lay with the big four economies of the U.S., Canada, Japan, and Mexico. Is this true?
4: I think it is. I think it is. It's interesting that uh, from a U.S. context, we see Canada and Mexico identified as a big four. I mean, I would have thought the Australians would be in that group. But uh, maybe if it's Australian-speaking and there are problems. Look, Mexico, because of auto parts, this all has to do with the labeling of where various components that may go into Japan or may be assembled in Mexico and then come into the States, this becomes a problem for American trade unions. Uh, for, I think, the American auto companies as well. Canada, I think it is primarily this dairy question. You've got the Canadian dairy market that's very protected. The American dairy industry wants into Canada, and certainly so does New Zealand. As to the Japanese, we know what that is. That's all food. But I think they'll cave in the end. And the Americans, the Americans want a deal.
1: All right Barry I think uh, that's about all we have time for well Barry I am certainly going to miss chatting with you every Monday morning it's uh, you know almost 4 years you know in one way shape or form um so uh, I'm certainly going to miss that uh, start to the week each week what are we going to do
4: <laughs> Well I don't know what we're going to do but it was great to have a female host on the program you've done great I'll miss you and good luck to you, Ranita.
1: Thank you, Barry. There'll be plenty to catch up in uh, other countries, perhaps. <laughs> okay, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Barry Wood is our international economics correspondent, who joins us every Monday from Washington DC. Time to take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is down two tenths of a percent to twenty thousand five hundred and forty-four. Australia's ASX two hundred index is down point oh two percent to five thousand six hundred and Cosby is down a quarter of a percent this morning to 2025. In currencies, one euro currently is valued at 1.09 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is trading at 124.07 yen. And one pound sterling buys you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 11 cents and one U.S. dollar and 56 cents. The time is now eight sixteen a.m. and Hang Lung Properties released their interim results last Thursday. Profits for the first half were up three percent to four thousand six hundred and seven million Hong Kong dollars year on year, while its core business, property leasing, rose nine percent to three thousand eight hundred and sixty-two million Hong Kong dollars. But property sales turnover was down seventeen percent. Let's bring in their chairman Ronnie Chan to understand. more about the numbers good morning ronnie morning ronnie so despite the property slump in china profits for your core business were up tell us why
5: well, first of all, I think the property leasing business, the retail sales in mainland China has been very, very weak. Uh, but that's nothing new. It has been sold for the last two, three years. Uh, we were fortunate to have done a couple of things. Number one, we have new properties that have been brought on. Um, we finish about one shopping centers every year for the last five years. But I think more importantly, in Shanghai, we have uh, done a lot of work to, uh, change the tenant mix. We have, uh, several, about six or eight major, major brands that have wanted anywhere from 57% to eight, to five times more space. Uh, several big names such as Chanel wanted to double their space, uh, in our Plaza 66. And all that brought in a much higher rent. And I do expect that the second half we should be able to do satisfactorily.
1: So that's uh, an interesting point that you bring up. Uh, You've changed the tenant mix, perhaps to larger larger and more luxury-focused tenants like Chanel. However, analysts are telling us about a decline in luxury spending on the mainland. How do you expect that this will affect your business?
5: Well, first of all, a lot of the luxury brands such as Chanel, such as Dior, They have actually lowered their prices in order to equalize with those prices in Europe. So that has been a very positive uh, happening to us. Uh, Yes, overall luxury sales uh, is down, but that also means that they want to concentrate. They don't want to have another, they don't want to have five stores, say, in one city. They just want to have two. As long as you're one of the two, you're fine. If you're the other three, tough luck. Well, the Long strategy is such that we always have the best property in each city that we play and so inevitably we're one of the two so actually these companies these brands are enlarging their stores where we are and as a result we're able to keep rents up
2: can I ask a question Uh, because you indicate despite the general weakness you are able to successfully reposition um, which type of your competitor or which type of participant in general will bear the brunt of this
5: well Many of the shopping centers in mainland China are really, really terribly designed and built. They will suffer, there's no doubt. There are others who feign to be uh, five-star shopping centers, uh, and yet they are not. So eventually, when the tough market comes, their real condition are exposed. And so some of them have been going down market. I know one major companies have publicly announced, besides closure of many of their properties, they also have to go down market for the entire portfolio. Now, that is a terrible thing to do. Because once you go down market, you bump into a lot of competitors. At the very top, there's very few and there are very few even fewer than that know what they are doing for the truly four or five star shopping uh, properties and so most of the people will be hurt and a few will win bigger and bigger as i say one it takes all such is the nature of the high end retail business in china
1: So, Ronnie, what I'm hearing from you is that it is very important to retain this five-star status when it comes to shopping malls. But wouldn't you say that is only true for Tier 1 cities in China?
5: Uh, So far, the Tier 1 cities have performed uh, quite okay. Uh, It was weak about uh, six to 12 months ago, but I think it has come back quite well in the last six months. Second-tier cities have yet to develop a taste, shall I say, uh, for the truly five-star goods. But looking ahead a little down the road, there's just no question on my mind that in second tier cities, people are now becoming more and more wealthy. Salary growth has been great. Businesses are still doing fine. And so I think the second tier will no doubt see a rise in luxury retail, and we're positioned to take advantage of it.
1: Ronnie, what would you say is Hang Lung's biggest uh, strategic or growth priority for the second quarter?
5: Well, we will do more of the same, and that is uh, we are enhancing all our Assets, uh, properties, uh, both in Hong Kong and in the mainland. For example, in Shanghai, the two shopping centers, well, two commercial complexes that we have, we're spending about one point three billion Hong Kong dollars in the next two years or so to upgrade it. So, whereas when market is down, everybody is cutting costs and so forth, we're going the other direction. We believe in the long term health of the high end retail shopping business in the mainland of China, and we have the financial strength. We have basically been debt-free, net debt-free for the last uh, 10 years or so. And so we're spending money to upgrade our property so that when the market finally turns, we'll be the biggest winner, hopefully, at that time.
1: All right, Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, Ronnie Chan is the president, uh, chairman of Hang Lung Properties, and he joins us here on Money for Nothing to discuss the company's interim results. Well, we have another quick uh, announcement from the Transport Department. Part of the lanes of Waterloo Road Chimsa Choi bound near St. George's building, which were closed due to a traffic accident, are now reopened to all traffic. Traffic queues may take some time to dis. Well, we are a few minutes short uh, of the end of the show. Uh, We're going to end on a little bit of a different note today. Tobias, uh, let's discuss what we should be looking for in financial markets uh, as we, you know, head into this week.
2: Um, I think one thing mentioned uh, interesting will be the opening of the Greek market this morning on Monday and could result in a lot of fireworks. Indeed, it was indicated to go down. Uh, from a European perspective, you can also see if you're pissed off because you have to pay for all this Greek fun, at least you can try to participate. If the Greeks' banks won't go down, you might pick them up at bargain basement prices. Another one that's interesting, some Greek companies actually are not as Greek-centered as you think. So if we're going to get a general wrap-down of stocks, maybe you can pick up some names. Uh, one thing that surprised me is the Folly Folly firm, which I saw in Hong Kong, that apparently turns out to be Greek. The Folly 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 firm. Yeah, it's, it's, they do retail. Uh, I don't exactly what they do, but you see them in a lot of uh, main street shopping uh- areas and apparently it's greek
1: tobias you know with the amount of money that greece is now negotiating for you know with the imf and um you know the european commission uh, and if you look at the reasons why you know it's to repay it's to recapitalize the banks it's to repay these emergency bridge bridge loans isn't this a question of the same old same old or am i missing something
2: absolutely and um It's it's a classic extend and pretend and hope that something will improve. One thing to say is that before the, I dare say, uh, idiots of Tsaritsa took over, (laughs) there was finally um, some improvement. They had a positive primary balance in Greece. The economy was starting to pick up a bit. And these guys took us back a couple of years. And yeah, we have to kick the can down the road in order to hope for some green shoots to, to pick
1: up again. Tobias, I always appreciate the way you tell it to us, just like it is. When we first had you on this show, uh, we sort of uh, looked at you and said, oh, you're a mad professor. I don't think you're a mad professor. You're just like madly in love with the subject. So thank you for your contribution. Tobias Hexter is the CIO and Senior Strategist at uh, True Partner Advisor. Time to look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is down three-tenths of a percent to 20,522. Australia's ASX 200 index is down 0.11% to 5675 and Seoul's Kospi is down half a percent to 2020. Gold currently stands at $1091 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $51.81. Well, uh, here we are. We are almost at the end of the show. What was uh, my very last show uh, on uh, Bunny for Nothing and here at Radio 3. So I thought it befitting to close with the anthem uh, for which uh, this show was named. You see, back in the early days when we were still in the planning stages, we were inspired by Dire Straits' song, Money for Nothing. For songwriters, Mark Knopfler and Sting, it was more about mocking the guys on MTV, you know, who could get their money for nothing and their chicks for free, but we took a bit of a different spin on it. For us, it was about the listeners. For us, it was about you guys because we wanted to give you the opportunity to make some money for nothing but tuning into Radio 3 each morning at 8 a.m. And tune in every day. You have your views, your comments, your emails. Make it a thrill for us to live, breathe this show. Dance to this tune during our waking moments, and many of our sleeping moments too.
4: Huh. Look at them yo-yos. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. That's the. Way just freeze. Now that ain't working. That's the way you do it. Let me tell you. Damn, guys ain't dumb. So maybe get a stone on your little finger. Maybe get a stone on your thumb. We got to install my career.
1: A big thank you to everybody who has helped out on the show. Our producer, Sandra Lamb. All the techs, Andy, Tongor, James, who make everything happen behind the board.
4: For free. We got to install microwave on the new custom kitchen delivery. We got to move these refrigerators. We got to move these
1: color TVs. Richard Harris will be here tomorrow to present the show for the next couple of weeks, and Peter Lewis after that.
4: Okay. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. Money for
1: nothing. So I'm not so sure about the chicks for free, but I certainly hope we've helped you to make your fair share of money for nothing but your loyal listenership. It's been fun, folks. vida zen Until we meet again. Right. Time for the half hour News with Samantha
0: Butler. President Obama says the White House is to unveil what he called the biggest and most important step taken in tackling climate change. He made the announcement in a video posted on Facebook.
4: Climate change is not a problem for another generation. Not anymore. That's why on Monday, my administration will release the final version of America's Clean Power Plan, the biggest, most important step we've ever taken to combat climate change.
0: The aim is to cut U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by nearly a third within 15 years. The measures will include emphasising wind and solar power and other renewable energy sources. But opponents in the energy industry have criticised the plan, saying the President has declared a war on coal, a source of more than a third of American power requirements. As the search for more debris from the Malaysia Airlines Boeing 777 continues in the Indian Ocean Island of Reunion, the latest find has been identified as not coming from the plane. Radio Australia's George Roberts reports. MH370 disappeared in March of last year after drastically veering off its intended route from Kuala Lumpur to the Chinese capital Beijing. Last week a wing component known as a flapperon was found on Reunion Island off East Africa. The Malaysian Transport Minister Leo Tiong Lai says it's been confirmed as from a Boeing 777, the same model as MH370. In a statement the minister has appealed to more safety authorities in the Indian Ocean to search for debris. A piece of metal found on Reunion Island over the Weekend has reportedly been discounted as part of a ladder, not a plane. Israeli hospital sources say a 16-year-old girl attacked at a Jerusalem gay pride march on Thursday has died from her injuries. She was one of six people stabbed during the parade. The suspected attacker is a member of an ultra-religious Jewish group. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu.